Hello, and welcome to Small Business Happy Hour, a podcast where we interview a different entrepreneur or small business owner every week to hear their story. We chat about their business, passions, struggles, and all things small business. Oh, and we drink with our guests during the interview, hence the happy hour. I'm your host, Derek, founder of Yoga for All Humans, a fully online yoga studio. And I'm your host, Holly, creator of the blog, The Bitter Lemon, and author of many books. We are so happy you're here. Hi, Holly. Hello. How are you? Doing pretty good. Pretty good. I feel like I uh, am currently, in the in the current state, I feel like I'm one of those people that looks forward to Friday, which I really hate. Mm. Yeah, know? that's a dark place to be. I know. It's so bad. But it's like last week we had we had President's Day off. And so I was just like really looking forward to that Friday, 5 p.m. I was going to shut down my computer, have a glass of wine, like an alcoholic glass of wine. And I did. And it was just a really nice weekend. And like, uh, you know, sometimes I feel like you just have those seasons of work that are like, man, you're just getting slammed or whatever it is. And it's like you start looking forward to Friday. And I really hate that. But that's the reality right now. And I'm acknowledging. that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's real, you know. And the one thing I like about my day job, I've mentioned it before on the pod, is that I have every other Friday off, you know. Right. But recruiting has been like real fucking crazy this year. Mm-hmm. Like we've been so busy and I have to update. Like I invite people to schedule invites through Calendly. Like we use for our podcast guest. I do the same thing for whenever I send people an invitation to schedule an interview. And like, I'll usually go through and like mark my Fridays off as unavailable. Right. Mm-hmm. But I'll just do it a couple months in advance, but then kind of forget to keep it updated. <laughs> so I actually had two people slip in tomorrow, which would normally be my Friday off. Um, and it's happened before and I end up having them reschedule. But like literally, you can't find a spot on my calendar next week right. until next Friday. Like that's how busy I am. Like literally. And I don't even have that many meetings on my calendar because I actively like pull myself out of meetings that I don't need to be in. That's yeah. Like, something I've done proactively since I started this new job uh, not new job it's been like two years but like literally you can't find a 30 minute spot on my calendar until next Friday so I was like well I guess I'll just fucking do these two interviews you know (laughs) (laughs) because like I don't know when they're going to be able to reschedule so I'll have like a half day Friday or something. Yeah, at least you have that like reprieve still I feel like anytime and this is a toxic way of looking at it but anytime you do have to work like outside of work hours at least it's kind of on your own terms and and temporary yeah (laughs) yeah so yeah no that's fair yeah I think because I have been feeling a little bit stressed about work I have been I slowed down my reading so I don't have a book club update for you this time but I've been watching just like the most mindless television I can find I think over the weekend, I probably watched like close to 20 hours of like below deck episodes. I watched <laughs> below deck down under, um, below deck Mediterranean, regular below deck. Like I was just binging all of it. But I also started watching this show 
It's on Hulu. It's on Fox. And then on Hulu, it's called Next Level Chef. I don't know if you're into like cooking competitions or anything. Not really. I watch them with my mom, but that's it. Yeah. I really, the only like cooking competition I watch is Top Chef. And I'm like obsessed with Top Chef. But I saw like this was on Hulu when I was just looking for something to watch. And it's like Gordon Ramsay. And then he's got two other chefs with him. One of them is Richard Blaze, who was a winner of Top Chef many years ago. It's one of these like reality competition shows where I feel like there's so many rules and games that they play that it's almost like I I kind of like feel like having trouble just wrapping my brain around like what these contestants are supposed to be doing. But basically it's combining social media chefs, home chefs and like restaurant chefs. And it's in this three story building. And so there's a basement kitchen, a mid-level kitchen and a top kitchen, like a top level kitchen. And like in the basement kitchen, it's like barely any ingredients it's like all canned meat and like dried pasta. And then the equipment that you have is like a broken colander and like a Bunsen burner versus like, if you make it to the top level kitchen, you get like scallops, caviar, and like the fancy cooking equipment. So like you're trying to work your way up to like the top kitchen but then once you get there you have to know how to like cook with those ingredients and that stuff so i've watched like three episodes of that uh if you're into like what oh it is classes (laughs) this is like a class system in a tv show (laughs) it's funny because like the social media and the home chefs are more scrappy so it's like when they were in the basement they're like this you know they can cook using that stuff and then when they get to the top level they're like i've never seen you know one of these fancy mixers or whatever whereas your restaurant chefs are probably like opposite it's interesting to see what people do i feel like it combines like chopped into like another level of show but i think it's for people who like um because gordon ramsay had like hell's kitchen he had like the other shows i think if you're a fan of him like you probably people would probably like watching it but it's just kind of like one of those things i started watching while i was like um looking for something mindless to watch but yeah yeah i know those are fun shows to watch like whenever like i said when i watch them with my mom right because my mom really enjoys them and i do enjoy them but like whenever they're on it's just not something i'm naturally gravitated to yeah it was funny whenever i was at my mom's house over christmas of course there was christmas baking episodes on right yeah and it was one of those episodes where it was like you know non-professionals like at-home bakers you know doing a competition Mm -hmm. and i was like wait i was like that's my account rep for our hr software and he was on there with his husband and i was like and then they showed his name and i was like yeah that's him. oh my god <laughs> that's funny wow yeah and he got he really got like i think he was like second or third place like he got to the very end you know so he did a good job um it's interesting to like think about people who 
when you're a social media chef, like I feel like they probably are looking to make stuff that looks good on a phone camera versus like a restaurant chef has to please a certain, you know, type of customer versus a home chef likely cooks for kids or their partner. So it's like, they're coming with all these different, you know, levels of skill. Yeah. which is interesting, but it is kind of a, I feel like it's a little bit too complicated. I'm still going to say Top Chef is the best competition cooking show. And that one is on Bravo. And that was like Padma was the host of that. Padma Lakshmi was the post, a host of that for like 20 seasons. And they're just, they're getting ready to start a new season with a new host because Padma stepped away. Oh, okay. Um, but What's it's like Gordon Ramsay, Hell's Kitchen, I think. Oh, okay. See, I don't know. Oh, called, I think that's. It sounds right. I think he has multiple, but he has the one where like he goes in and like it's like nasty restaurant kitchens. Yeah, no, Hell's Kitchen sounds right because he's an asshole. So. Yeah, like that's his whole like shtick. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. That's what I've been doing. Just. Watching TV. Yeah, no, you need a break from reality. So that's a nice uh, get into someone else's reality, you know. <laughs> I know. I'm like, l- let me just watch um these people freak out over cooking or like these rich people on yachts. Yeah. No, I mean that's real. You know, I've I've been continuing my Riverdale journey because it's a very oh, like yeah. dramatic like TV show, you know. It's kind of <laughs> the same thing. Um just like an escape from reality, like the books I've been reading because they're all fantasy. Yes. Um, that's like been my MO lately. Like if I'm not dealing with reality, I'm escaping it, you know? Yeah. Um, and meanwhile, I'm going to therapy. So it's not like I'm like really trying to avoid things. It's just trying to find some balance. So <laughs> I have a therapy appointment tomorrow. She told me, I don't know if I told you this, but in my last therapy appointment, I've been using my cognitive behavioral um, workbook that Uh she she told me I should buy. And I've been doing my exercises whenever I have anxiety episodes. And I told her about like this whole process I walked through. And she said, I am a role model for mental health. You heard it here. What? I'm a a fucking role model for mental health. I feel like we need to like introduce you on the pod now as that uh, your role me. model for mental health, Terry. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. My therapist said it. Yeah. Wow. That's huge. I I was actually like so fucking flattered. <laughs> like, because <laughs> she didn't say it lightly. She wasn't like trying to like make me feel better. She was like legitimately proud of me. And it, like, almost made me cry, like, how, like, sincere she was. I was like, thank you. I felt really accomplished. I was like, am I done with therapy now? <laughs> wow. That's props to you. I'm, like, in the yeah. process of get, getting back into therapy. And, like, I am so scared because I, yeah. my my last experience um, what with therapy was not great. And, like, wow, it was a dark time. Like, I feel like yeah. if you... Uh, start bringing up some of that dark stuff and the therapist isn't uh, supporting that in a way that is helpful. Wow. Uh, Like seriously, um, scary times. (laughs) Like, Yeah. Very scary. 
you got to find the right person, you know, and like, yeah. I feel like I have, you know, I, I used BetterHelp and yeah. BetterHelp. You do a lot of sponsorship ads, BetterHelp. So if you're listening, we're happy to do one. Um, yeah, but we currently don't make any money on the podcast. Just that correct. <laughs> yes, that is accurate. <laughs> but yeah, I, I like I just did the BetterHelp. Like it, you know, matched me up with the therapist thing based on you know all these things, and she's been wonderful. It was a it really good match, okay. So, that's yeah. good to know. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a good segue into who our guest is this week. Yeah, um, it is. Yeah, because she does a lot of therapy. So, Holly, who did we interview this week? Yeah, we talked with Cassie, who technically she's a holistic therapist, but we were talking to her from the angle of um, being the executive director of Rise Enlightened, which basically supports some it's sort of raising awareness for church hurt and trauma that can come from religious organizations uh, and just kind of raising awareness, also helping to treat victims of church hurt and hopefully changing the conversation so that that does not happen. Yeah. This is just a really interesting conversation because I would bet that there's a group of people out there that probably have never even heard of, like, I had never heard of the term church hurt before we talked with Cassie, yeah. but when I read it, um, I understand what that means. Um, and I think obviously all of our backgrounds are different and hearing her, like how she got into this work is really interesting. And I think through our conversation, we were both sort of reflecting on our own uh, relationships with, you know, church and religion and um, where that puts us. And like, it's the work that Rise Enlightened does is uh, needed and also just very interesting. Yeah. I mean, I'm personally grateful for the work that she's doing and it's a nonprofit. So it's not like, you know, she's doing this to make a huge profit. She's doing this because she feels passionate about it. And, you know, I talk about it in the episode where I grew up, you know, in a Southern Baptist, not not just Southern Baptist, like church, a Southern Baptist school. You know, I yeah. was just in, surrounded by it, like for the majority of my childhood and adolescence and youth and being a gay kid in that environment and constantly feeling like I'm going to hell, like it was a really dark time, you know, thankfully I have never had suicidal thoughts, but I would imagine if I was inclined to feel that way, which would not be my fault. And it's not people's fault. If they have like depressive episodes, I'm sure that would have been my reality, you know? Yeah. Um, so I would, it was a dark time for me, but I could imagine it's a much darker time for a lot of people. And thankfully I was surrounded by a lot of supportive friends who loved me for who I was, you know? Mm -hmm. So I'm just really grateful for the work that Cassie is doing because it's so important and so meaningful. I mean, just this week in Oklahoma, there was a trans um, kid that got killed by from bullying um for being in a bathroom that someone thought that they shouldn't be in you know yeah, um, yeah. yeah that... so it's 
a stark reality, you know? Yeah. It's um, honestly that news coming out really like I, you know, we could talk for about it forever, but um, when stuff like that comes out, I'm just like, I honestly cannot believe that that's the world we live in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hope that I really, truly hope that we, we can live to see that tide change. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. And I mean, sadly, like we can't rely on our representatives to do it. So I'm glad that people like Cassie are out there doing the work, you know, cause it needs to happen. Yeah. 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 You know, cause we, I mean, we didn't say it, but you know, beyond just, the church hurt cassie also has like an lgbt focus because she's a member of the community um so that's part of the broader scope you know because mm-hmm. um you know church hurt church hurt is where things started but it's a broader scope than just that yeah yeah it's it yeah. encompasses a lot um so it was a really good conversation and um if you feel inclined you can you can support rise enlightened yeah know? yeah on the website, there's a donate button. Um, and I know we kind of got dark there for a second, but it's not a super dark episode. It's actually a really, you know, fun and, and enlightening episode. So definitely yeah. listen, enjoy. <laughs> yeah. We do talk about real stuff, but uh, as always on these on these podcasts, we, we, we have fun while we do it. So all righty. Well, y'all enjoy. Hey, Cassie, how are you? Good. Um, I apologize. I'm, I just got in. I was doing ride-alongs with officers today. <laughs> like police oh. officers? Yes. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, that's We'll, we'll talk about that. I'm curious to hear more about that in a minute. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for joining. Sorry I had to reschedule you twice, but like you said, today felt like a good day and it was. So, yeah. <laughs> no, it's glad we got it. Yeah, that's the the life of a small business owner. You know, I think both times when I had to reschedule, I had to go cover a yoga class because I have, you know, teachers that teach for me. Um, but, you know, a lot of times I end up being the sub whenever they're, you know, unavailable. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us. Um, Thank Eric, you. Obviously, um, this is Holly. We were just saying, do you know Aaron? Is that right? Aaron Cartier? Yes. Okay. okay. Yeah. Cool. How do you know Aaron? So I got connected to Aaron um, through a friend. Um, we had kind of started going to like a small business meetup together. And so I had originally met her then. Um, I actually had a really bad experience hiring someone to do my website um, oh. and my rebranding. And I was kind of like venting to one of the people from the group. And I was just like, I don't know what to do. This is so bad. Like I've paid so much money and I'm not getting anything out of it. And they were like, oh my gosh, you should talk to Aaron. Aaron is fantastic. Um, and so I reached out to her and I kind of like shared with her what had been going on and kind of where I was at and how I was stuck. And um, Aaron is just absolutely amazing and extremely, extremely talented. And um, she because we are a nonprofit, um, she just jumped right in and um, actually offered to donate her services um, oh. to kind of do all the work that should have been done um, the first time. And so I'm so grateful for her and she's fantastic. 
Aww. Amazing. We had her on the podcast. I don't know if you if you looked at yeah. our episodes, but I think she was in season. She did. She shared the picture yeah. one time. I was like, oh, that's so neat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We it's you know, it's always friends of friends. That's, that's how life goes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Where do you live, Cassie? So I'm in Dayton, Ohio. Oh, okay. Okay, cool. Okay. Holly yeah. is also a Midwesterner. Yeah. Oh, okay. Consider Ohio Midwest, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. so. Yeah. I feel like different people think of different states when it comes to the Midwest. But yeah, I grew up in Indiana. Okay. Yep. We're neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm just a good old Southern boy. Um, even though people don't believe me because I don't sound like I'm from Louisiana. Um, but born and raised Baton Rouge, so the deep, dirty South. Um, I was went to so raised southern baptist went to a southern baptist private christian school from fifth grade to 12th grade so i'm sure we'll have a lot to talk (laughs) (laughs) but um yeah let's get into it so first things first um are you partaking in happy hour cassie I'm not. No yes i am i'm absolutely partaking in happy hour (laughs) what are you drinking I like to call it a cocktail, but it's not really a cocktail. Okay. Um, but this is my water and I have an autoimmune disease. So I take a lot of like supplements and stuff and they drain a lot of my nutrients. So I have like special nutrient water that I carry with me all the time. So this is the best thing that I do for happy hour. This is my cocktail. There you go. That's wild. <laughs> um, but I'm glad you found your balance, you know, because that's yeah. the battle with, with autoimmune stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Holly, did you do a mocktail this evening? I did. I'm having a zero proof tequila, which I'm still drinking that ritual, the ritual brand, uh, zero proof tequila. I've now tried all of their stuff. I got the gin, tequila and the whiskey. It's all so good. Um, But the tequila is like my favorite. Um, And then I got this. I asked for like mocktail uh, like mixers and stuff for Christmas. So my mom got me a bunch of these like canned, they're called Avec, A-V-E-C. And it's Ooh. like, this one is yuzu, lime and lemongrass. And like, that's all. That that's sounds inside. amazing. Yeah. So I got four different flavors. I had one last night just by itself, like over ice. And that one was like pomegranate. I want to say it was like pomegranate, cranberry and cinnamon, which sounds weird, but it tasted mm. kind of like red wine. Okay. It was really good. This one is a lot i'm not gonna lie i'm assuming it's the yuzu but it's like zippy (laughs) so this it tastes like a spicy margarita even though i didn't think it was going to but it's good but so far i like the other one better the the pomegranate one but so what do you have i have wine you know i have wine (laughs) (laughs) i always have red wine every time nothing no specific kind it's bread and butter the brand uh, oh yeah yeah, it's a, just a good staple. I got it from the gas station earlier today. So, <laughs> love it. <laughs> I, that's funny because um, the guy at the gas station, like, I've been trying to drink less during the week. Um, and uh, I, I felt like <laughs> kind of guilty because he, rec- he started to recognize me. <laughs> and last time I went in there, he's like, Where you been, man? <laughs> he's like counting on you to come. Like, <laughs> I'm probably the only person that buys wine from there. Deplete their red wine supply. He's like yeah. putting in the, the order. And he's like, well, I haven't seen Derek come by. I know. <laughs> he's so sweet, though. Um, 
Well, let's get into it. Um, Holly, you did a lot of the research, so I'll let you kick it off. So I looked on the website to try and like wrap my brain around everything that you do, because it seems like a lot. Um, So I guess I would really just love to hear, um, you know, your background and then how that led into it. Should we call it Rise Enlightened or is it just Rise? Um, I go, I use both because Rise Enlightened is kind of a long name, you know, didn't think about that. (laughs) Um, So tend to refer to it as Rise often. So either one, but uh, yeah, so um, I really started working in mental health or um, I guess in like group work, psychoeducation, a lot of that um, while I was working at a juvenile detention center. And I really got to see the impact of like the trauma to prison pipeline. I don't want to say prison, it was detention center, but really you got to see that overlap of like how many kids were coming in with like a very significant trauma history Mm -hmm. um, and how it was kind of like affecting their behavior. And so right out of the gate, um, trauma became like the thing that I just wanted to focus on. I wanted to learn and understand more about it. Um, I had done some neuroscience research too when I was in school and just learning about the way that the brain responded to trauma, um, which is all very new. So like people that are in my generation coming through grad school, um, are they're the first ones that are really getting this knowledge like in school about trauma. Mm-hmm. And so coming out, I was like, I just want to follow this. Like I just could not get enough of it. I was really intrigued by it. Um, and then I started working um, in the domestic violence world. And so for about a year, um, I was in two positions that were on like total opposite ends of the spectrum. So um, we were really short staffed. So even though I was the domestic violence coordinator for the program that worked with the abusers, I also spent time in the crisis care center working with the victims. And so I was working on both sides of that. And I started to kind of see uh, specifically in the domestic violence world that there was this other kind of overlap that was happening where there was a lot of this religious intersectionality that was occurring, um, especially in the domestic violence world. And that intrigued me. Yeah. Um, Because up until that point, I thought I was the only one that had experienced things like that before. Um, So growing up, you know, I also grew up, I started Baptist. So I was in that world. And then very abruptly, um, as a 13 year old, very pivotal time in my life, right? Um, mm. We went Pentecostal. And wow. yeah. <laughs> okay. So for like the whole first part of my life, I'm told that like all of these things are like demonic or like wrong, like speaking in tongues and like, like we couldn't even dance. Like there's just so much that was, it was evil. And, um, and then here I am like years later and like people are running around the church, like speaking in tongues and like falling out after having their hands put on them. And so it's just a weird place to be in (laughs) as a 13 year old, when you've been told like all of this is going to make you go to hell for so long. And then now you're in a church where it's part of the religion. And I had a lot of that that was like being brought home and was kind of being woven into the domestic violence that was occurring in my my family. Um, So going into the domestic violence world and doing work there, when I started to see that there was a prevalence, there was an overlap, and it wasn't just something that had occurred to me. 
that it was a something that was occurring to a lot of other people, that there was this kind of relationship to religion um, that was connected to the abuse. It made me um, just want to do more as to bring awareness of that, because in domestic violence, we're, we're taught about the 10 types of domestic violence. One of them is spiritual abuse, but that's about it. We talk about how it's one of the 10 types. Um, we don't really talk about much more and realizing how much prevalence there was, I felt like there needed to be a bigger conversation. Damn. I know. So I think before we go further, I I feel like it might be important to like, just sort of if you could say, how how is trauma defined? I feel like we hear that word so much. And it's hard to like, you know, just so we can all have like an understanding of how we're speaking about it in this conversation. And then I know the website uses the phrase church hurt. So I'm yeah. curious about I'm curious about like your definition of that too. I always like to use um, kind of the abuse versus trauma when helping people understand the difference between the two, mm-hmm. um, because abuse is really the act. That's kind of what is occurring. Um, and trauma is really the it, the body memory. Um, it's kind of like what's left over. It's um, the response that occurs. It's the conditioning that is built up as a cause of that abuse. So a lot of what we know about trauma now is it's not a mind memory. It's not something that we remember that's stored in our mind. It's something that's stored in our body. It's stored in our nervous system. So things like senses, smells can have the ability to literally make us feel like we are back in a place of time um, when an event occurred or when an abuse occurred. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. I've been working. So like I've been on and off with therapy, you know, and started back with therapy probably about three months ago through like better help you know you always hear ads about yeah and my life is just so busy and i also haven't had like a lot of success with like in-person therapy like i don't know it's just never felt right to me and yeah it's been night and day like i've just i just so love my therapist and that's a lot of what we've been uncovering is is trauma and triggers and figure out like you know where they're coming from um Cause it's real. Like I, you know, I thought I had my shit together and then like, as we're talking, I'm like, Oh God, I have a lot more growing to do. Okay. Okay. Let's do this. So kudos to you for, for putting in the work and, and using your knowledge. Cause I mean, a lot of people need help, you know, and it's not always just like life altering things. Like, you know, my life is right. fine, but like it can be better too, you know? So. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. How did Rise, like what, you know, what is Rise like mission and, you know, what, tell us about like the services that are offered. Yeah. So like I said, bringing awareness to um, spiritual abuse and actually you talked about church hurt. That's a phrase that I like to use a lot because uh, a lot of the the religious abuse that we see here in the United States is really connected to like uh, evangelicalism or um, a really traditional, you know, fundamentalist Christianity. That's a lot of what we're seeing kind of very visually, even though religious abuse occurs across all religions, um, across all platforms. Um, There's not a demographic that it doesn't really touch. That's just kind of like what's currently in our society, very prominent right now. Um, And so a lot of, 
what like people leaving the church it's coming from actual hurt that's happening in the church um so people are seeking out these places as a form of safety um mm. because that's kind of like what they're created to be or what they're you know marketed as uh for lack of better words is like this safe space where you can come and you can be you know who you are and you're going to be loved and accepted and so when people enter into that safe space and that's not what they're met with when they're not met with you know welcoming and kindness and compassion then they kind of like lose that sense of safety for a minute mm -hmm. and that's where we start to see those like trauma responses and those trauma triggers start to come out okay yeah yeah holly you didn't grow up in the church right no that's what i was just kind of like thinking about because um my dad was definitely raised like very strict Baptist. And I, I don't know a lot of the details about what happened, but I was told from a very young age that like, it was not a good experience. And like, that was the reason that we were not active in church. Um, I had a lot of friends that their parents like would take them to church on Sunday. And if I spent the night, it was a thing where like, if Holly's going to spend the night, like we're going to go to church on Sunday, is mm. she going to go with us or not? Like that was always the thing. And I yeah. became really close friends with two girls that like their families were both pretty active in the church. So I did go to church with them and I went to like a Methodist church with them. And okay. generally speaking, like I liked the Methodist church. I know I went to like, what is it like vacation Bible? Like, yeah. For yeah, a week in the Bible summertime. School, yeah. yeah I, I did that <laughs> when I was a kid. And then I don't know if either of you guys, like, I don't know if this is a thing everywhere, but I was a part of an, an organization called Awana. Yes. I know Awana's. I don't know what it stands for, but like it's kids of like, I was in like third grade. Um, yeah. And I remember like we memorized Bible verses and we'd get like little jewels. We had like a crown pin and get like little jewels in our crown. But I don't remember much about that other than like memorizing the Bible verses, talking yeah. about what they meant. We had lock-ins in the church. Like I feel like a few times or like we'd watch movies in the church, but that's like all I really remember. I don't, I did have a few experiences just just judgmentally like I feel like I lived in a really I grew up in a really small town so the fact that we didn't go to church I felt like the friends that their families did it was always kind of like why don't you guys go to church type of thing yeah. and I think like that followed like for a really long time um and we had neighbors that would sometimes come over and be like we had I think we had neighbors that may have been Jehovah's Witness and I think they had asked my dad like what what is your deal? <laughs> Whatever. Um, I don't, so I don't have like severely negative thoughts about it, but I guess right. I always just felt like it was sort of an inside outside thing. Like it's kind of like I was not a part of that, and I didn't really feel like, oh, since since we're not a part of it, I'm not going to be a part of it. You know? Yeah, and so that brings up like exactly why um, I do some of the work that I do. So going back to your other question too um, about some of the services that we offer, but spreading awareness and education, that's really a big part of it. Because like you said, like if you're not really 
connected to it, if you haven't been in it, if you haven't, you know, seen it happen or it's happened to you, it's really hard to understand how a faith space like this could be used in a way that could be harmful. And so that's one of the things that we like to do is try to draw awareness to what that looks like. What can it look like when church hurt exists and on like, it's such a vast spectrum. So, I mean, you have all forms of extremism, just like you have in an every other area of life. Um, But you have like all the way to cultism where it's like, that's very direct. Like, obviously that's abuse. Like, you know that that's happening. But then there's also things that are not as significant, like the impact of purity culture and what that did by just spreading those very ingrained ideologies um, that kind of shaped the way that young women looked at themselves and how that led into a whole other, you know, kind of complexities. So that's just there. There's a spectrum of what that can look like. And so being able to draw awareness to the different types of abuse that can occur. And abuse is like a general term, but I feel like sometimes like we throw that out there and people are like, oh, that has to be like a big giant thing. But sometimes abuses are, they're small. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're discreet. They're not overt. They're not big. We are also working with, there are churches that are recognizing that there has been a history. Um, So it's not just like direct stuff that happens to people, but there's generational trauma that has occurred um, in a number of different populations. And so the church, there are churches that are are willing to step out and say, we recognize this. We recognize that, that we have had a history of being harmful and we want to do better. We want to accept, you know, take accountability and see how we can move forward. And so working with those churches um, that are really on that cusp of like trying to um, be more trauma informed, be more understanding to look at how that they can change their environments to um, reduce some of the the impact of people that have, I we use the term pre-church sometimes, but they have uh, had a pre-church experience. It also helps me to identify spaces for clients that I work with whenever they're ready to go back into a faith space. Um, Cause sometimes people do, they want to rejoin the church. There is those positives like you shared about community that they want to reattach to. And so um, being able to work within these spaces and make sure that I'm trying to help support them in becoming the most safe that they can for these populations um, really works to help uh, also identify spaces that my clients feel comfortable um, being able to enter back into as well. Okay. That's interesting. Uh, I get, I like oftentimes like just like kind of block out like churches in general, just because of my experience. I mean, like, you know, being raised Southern Baptist, being gay in South Louisiana, like that's not easy. You know, I spent like basically all of middle school and high school thinking I was going to hell and I was wrong. You know, that right. that's a lot of trauma, you know, and like knowing that I could get expelled if I ever, you know, came out of the closet and like, you know, things right. like that. So it was it was a, a long recovery period after that. You were know? gonna get expelled if you came out there. Yeah, yeah. It was a Christian school. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. I could have definitely gotten expelled. Um yeah. girls that got pregnant got expelled. Well, yeah, I was gonna say I did not go to a religious school, but if you got pregnant, you just went away. Oh, <laughs> you disappeared. Okay. Like it- <laughs> Yeah, it's but it was interesting because like the Catholic schools in our area were more lenient. Like, you know, people felt more comfortable coming out to be gay and they were 
definitely pregnant girls at Catholic schools, it was very shunned. Like, you're wrong. Right. But we'll allow you to stay here. You know, so it was <laughs> it was just a weird time. I mean, I graduated in 2005. So it was, you know, way before churches were more open about it. But yeah, uh, yeah. I'm glad to hear that you're finding connections with churches that are more open minded because there is a lot of positives to it. You know, I did really enjoy like going to youth group you know in early high mm-hmm. school i would go to youth group you know wednesdays and all our friends would go and we would just you know have a lot of fun but yeah i, I very quickly just felt you know very pushed out of it by the end of it yeah and still do is hmm. it and this may be too big of a question for the podcast but i'm curious like because you said you know some churches have have a history of it and um is this just is this something that happens that's related to the religion or is this just something that happens anytime you get like a hierarchical group community and then it it happens because of for one reason or another, you know? Yeah. Um, that's a great question. And basically kind of, you know, that second part that you talked about is when we kind of have these structures of hierarchy where we, um, really rely on like blind obedience, is when we have the ability to kind of fall into these more um, controlling or abusive patterns. So it's not necessarily that like one religion is like more than another religion for one reason. It's just that sometimes um, there are certain people that get into positions that use that culture to their advantage because it is set up in a way that it's very easy to do so. Yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking like that combined with like what you said, if you're going to a church because you want community or you're in a vulnerable space, you want help or whatever it is, you want spiritual guidance, like, yeah. I am curious yeah. about, you mentioned toward the beginning of the call that you were doing ride-alongs earlier today with with police, yeah. you know, the, with police reform, yeah. mental health people going along with them was was one of the topics of conversation. I'm assuming that's that's what it was. Um, yeah, so I do secondary traumatic stress work with um, a couple of different police departments. And so one of the things that I do just to understand more about the work that they do and their job um, is ride in the cars because <laughs> um, that's really just the best way. So um, it's a lot of just kind of like there's a shift that's happening in law enforcement right now um, as far as recognizing the impact of trauma. Um, I think one of my favorite phrases to use in trauma work is trauma is just a normal response to an abnormal situation. Um, So what we're seeing in like the first responder world is that there's starting to be this shift of recognition that if an officer or a first responder is experiencing these trauma symptoms, it's just because they are experiencing events that the average person is not experiencing. So that's where the, it's a normal response to an abnormal situation. Like your body is going to respond a certain way to certain events. And when you're experiencing these events over and over and over again, sometimes 12 times in a day, then that's where you kind of start to see that conditioning occur. And so we're 
really kind of seeing a shift in law enforcement where they're wanting to take more um, of a proactive role in mental health with officers, which is absolutely fantastic. And so I, I really focus that nonprofit really focuses on religious trauma, but um, myself, I'm just, I'm a trauma therapist. Um, so I do have like some separate contracts that I do. And one of those is doing some secondary traumatic stress work with law enforcement. Wow. Amazing. Look at that. Look at the police in Ohio. Wow. Texas. Listen up. <laughs> <laughs> that's so good to hear. That's, that's yeah. Nice. That's yeah. like, I'm honestly shocked to hear that. Like I have such a poor view of, of police officers. If I'm being totally honest. I'm like, wow, that's yeah. great. <laughs> yeah. Well, and if you want me to be honest, that's part of the reason why I got into it is I just, I felt like I needed to understand more. Um, I really kind of had my own like negative, you know, experiences. And so when the opportunity came up, um, I, I took it more just to kind of understand, to learn more, to try to see like a different side of the perspective. I will say there's some of my thoughts that have been reinforced. (laughs) Um, there's some of my thoughts that, that have been changed, but it's definitely interesting work. And all I can say is I I like to consider myself um, like a silent infiltrator. Like I like to go into the spaces where I feel like work really needs to be done mm-hmm. and like do the work from the inside out. Mm-hmm. Um, so like that's why I started in juvenile court. I was I was a rough kid. Um, I spent some time in juvenile detention. I, you know, have a list of charges from when I was young. Yeah. Um, but it was that experience that made me realize that there was so much that needed to be fixed. There was a lot that was broken in that system. And so when I became an adult, that was kind of the first thing that I I I went for was how can I go and impact this system in a positive way from the inside out? Um, because I feel like sometimes it's easy to just sit on the outside and be like, oh, I don't like this or like this isn't working right. But I wanted to find a way to like get inside of it. Um, and see if there was anything that I could do to kind of motivate change. Yeah. And I think I'm sure once you, I'm sure once you got into it, like what the work that you do, like there's so much intersectionality, like you, I mean, you've already mentioned like so many different, um, like when I, I lived in Louisiana for a good bit and did a lot of, um, just learning with a, a group there was a group there called dialogue on race I, an organization i shouldn't call it a group and i learned so much there i originally started going to their meetings like to write a story about it and then i was like wow this is actually so interesting and i need to understand more and then when i moved to texas i started working for an abortion clinic and i felt like wow there's just so much like once you crack open like problems and systems like everything is connected yeah, absolutely okay you have on the website, there's so many different therapies. And <laughs> I'm just wondering if you can help us like, you don't have to go into details, but Derek was trying to break them down for me like these, the polyvagal theory, psychodynamic, like all of these different theory. I've never heard of any of these. So can you help us understand? Yeah, um, polyvagal is a lot of 
probably what I like to focus on because I'm a very nerdy person and uh, like at heart, I'm just a nerdy person. And so polyvagal for me is like really aligned with like that nerdy side of me um, because it really gets down to like, what is the nervous system doing? What is happening in your nervous system when you're experiencing these things? Um, And then how can we gain control over that nervous system response? Um, So a lot of like the polyvagal theory is about understanding um, that polyvagal system, um, understanding the difference between sympathetic and parasympathetic, um, being able to draw awareness to those two stages within your nervous system, and then being able to practice embodiment, which um, really goes in line with some of those other things like mindfulness-based embodiment really crosses over a lot of stuff that we do. But embodiment, embodiment really just speaks to like that, that connection of the mind and the body. Like we want to know you know, what are we feeling and how do we feel it inside? Where do we feel it inside? Um, And then how does that change through the different states of our nervous system? So that's where the connection of the polyvagal comes in. And so being able to help clients kind of gain more control over that that fluctuation in their nervous system um, through skills like mindfulness, mindfulness based skills, things like that. But a lot of the other things are really kind of related to, um, I would say, a, a term that's kind of coming up now that a lot of younger therapists are using oppressive therapy. And so it's just really this idea and this understanding that a lot of times we have symptoms that are related to these oppressive symptoms or systems that we're a part of. And so sometimes it's not necessarily that there's something like wrong inside of us, It, but that's what we're told, right? Like, oh, we can't, you know, get happy or we can't like stop worrying about stuff. Um, when really a lot of the sadness that we're experiencing or the anxiety that we're experiencing is coming from living in um, really oppressive systems and not being able to get out from underneath them. And so and being able to kind of like anti-oppressive therapy. Anti-oppressive. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. That's like a new term that's being coined by like uh, the new therapists that are coming out. And I just love it because it really kind of focuses on how does capitalism impact us? How does <laughs> that impact, <laughs> you know, well, our life? Is, uh, we I, have to all- mention it. In almost every single episode, something something about capitalism comes up. We're very (laughs) anti-capitalism. You're in a good place. (laughs) And and, and we didn't have to say it this time. You said it. it. And you weren't prompted. Yeah. No, no. You heard it here. An organic (laughs) (laughs) anti-capitalist. Statement. Oh, but that's that I think that's why I'm is. so fascinated by it because I feel like so much of the anxiety I have is because of of the world we live in not it's not because of me personally. <laughs> yeah, no. I started yeah. Lexapro whenever COVID started because I yeah. was I was working in HR at a company that people know where that is if you quickly look up my LinkedIn. <laughs> um and it was just like I was I was in HR and I was like on the the COVID team and it was just like mind blowing just like the lack of empathy you know it was just like it was just numbers and I was just like y'all like we're gonna lay off these people we're gonna make these people come into work and ride in the truck with each other we're not gonna provide them masks like what is happening like it was just like I, like everything else was going on and then I was having to deal with that in my like yeah 
daily life for eight hours a day. And I was like, I'm going crazy. So yes. Yeah. Oppressive therapy. Well, I I think like, because if you have, if you're somebody that like has like worries or anxiety about the future, which I feel like is probably pretty natural. Like if you really think about it, all this problems that are caused by capitalism, you get to that. You can very quickly move from like, okay, it's fine to hopeless. Like, it's like, oh, everything's going to shit. Like, and like, my thing is like the timeline. Like, how quickly is it going to go to shit? Because are we raising kids or are we not? Are we, what are we doing? (laughs) Because I don't know when the world is going to be on fire. (laughs) Like, so yeah, that makes total sense to me. And now I'm like, oh, I have something to look up later. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, sorry to like interrupt you after you said capitalism. You run (laughs) You're good. Yeah, so again, like a lot of the stuff is really kind of about helping us understand that some of those feelings that we have are just kind of related to these ingrained beliefs that society has kind of conditioned us to believe. Um, They're not real. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, They're just put on us by society. And so being able to work through a lot of that in therapy is really where we see a lot of change because then people start to take that weight off themselves because that's where where it's at right now is society is saying hey why can't you get it together like you know why aren't why are you having anxiety about this like this is not a big deal like everybody else is fine with this like why are you not fine with this and so it kind of takes that that shame and blame out where you can finally start to say like hey it's not me that is the problem here like i'm not the one that is the problem my response is actually pretty normal right. to the problem. I'm curious about, cause I know you said, you know, when you were going through school, like trauma was mm-hmm. sort of just becoming something that people, and now that this church, like church hurt is maybe something that's more recognized. Like, do you think that that, cause I do feel like we're, we're coming on like an interesting time. Like I feel like more people talk about mental health, but I, I don't know. And maybe you can speak to this is that actually cut, like showing up like in terms of more access to mental health or is it just something people are saying? Like that's, that's so interesting that you bring that up. So access there, there's not a lot of access, um, yeah. but there's a lot of need. Uh, so kind of what we've seen is like, as the stick, the stigma has started to change, mm-hmm. um, people feel more comfortable talking about it, being open about it. They're reaching out for help. Um, mm-hmm. They're asking for help, but oftentimes there's not help to be found. We're what I've found like prior to kind of stepping out on my own still being, and I'm still somewhat connected to agency work a little bit. It's, it's like a, it's a crisis. There's a shortage. Uh, Some of the agencies that I had started with had like super high standards for like what you, who they would hire, like the type of licenses that they would hire. And now they're like recruiting at colleges just to try to get staff to fill positions. And so the way that that impacts the professionals that are coming into the field is you have a lot of new therapists um, that are kind of like being thrown to the wolves. Um, They're being overwhelmed very quickly. They're not being um, fully, I don't want to say trained is the right word, but like 
had their, had their confidence been out, built up, like empowered. A lot of times, like when you're a new therapist, you know what you're supposed to be doing, but it's just like, you don't feel confident enough doing it. And so a lot of that experience is just getting more empowered in what you know, and getting more empowered to make those decisions that you have stored inside of you. And so sometimes with the shortages that we have and the lack of access, they're just kind of like, throwing these new therapists to the wolves with like not a whole lot of support and the way that billing works in an agency it's insane like the amount of people that you have to see on a regular basis some agencies uh like i had a friend that worked in an agency one time that every hour of her week had to be booked 40 hours the entire 40 hours had to be booked they had to have a minimum caseload of 80 kids and they were told, cause I was like, how do you go to the bathroom? Like, how do you eat? Yeah. And she was like, oh, well, we were told that like a lot of times people cancel. So we need to have every hour booked. And then if we get a cancellation, that's our, that's our opportunity. And I was like, what if you don't get a cancellation? And she was like, yeah, it happens a lot. I don't eat a lot. So um, yeah, it's, it's a huge problem. I, the first time um, took a job that required productivity and I had avoided jobs that had taken that required productivity for the longest time because I had, I heard other therapists, I like talked to them and they're talking about how they feel and how burnt out they feel and how hard it is to keep up with the requirements. And so I was like, I'm not doing it. I'm staying away from that. Um, I eventually did it. And the first time that I mean, I had a family that was just really going through some stuff, like in any other job, them not showing up to an appointment, I would have like been so compassionate for them. And because I had not been meeting my productivity quotas and I knew that I was at risk of being punished, I had this moment where I was like, I I'm frustrated with them. Like I'm irritated with them. Like I'm going to get punished now because they didn't show up. And I felt so disgusting having that feeling that yeah. I went to my supervisor and I was like, I don't like this. I don't like looking at people like numbers. I don't like having to remove a person's issue, like something that they're going through. Like this is out of their control. It's completely significant to why they're not able to attend. And yet I'm disregarding that because I'm concerned about, you know, my job, my welfare here at my job. And um, the response that I got was that I needed to make sure that I justified my salary to them. And that was why I had a productivity requirement. Is it like an insurance thing? Like, uh, I'm, I'm assuming, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. we, we had another really good interview with, um, I, I've, I've switched to direct primary care. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, the direct primary care model doesn't take insurance or traditionally don't take insurance. And that's what we do, yes. Yeah, yeah. And so we just have like a monthly fee and it's been life-changing. Like, good God, I feel so taken care of now with, with my doctor. Um, we had a really good interview with her on the podcast as well, the, the lady that founded the one here that I go to outside of Austin. And yeah, it was the same thing. She was just like, I... I, I, because she was in the insurance model before, you know, it was just like 15 minute appointments back to back. She's like, I just yep. want to take care of people, but I can't, you know, and like mm -hmm. it was, it was so sad hearing her telling her story of like, you know, she would ask, like, is there anything else wrong? And like, if they start going too far down the rabbit hole, she had to cut them short because like she didn't have time to deal with extra. And like, that's, yeah, 
it's just so systemic, you know, is my point. Like it, yeah. it, it blows my mind. And then that comes back to capitalism. So <laughs> it does. <laughs> it does. Yeah. 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 Oh, it does. See, yeah. we were getting there one way or another. We were. <laughs> yeah. I saw on the website that um, Rise did not accept insurance. And I assumed that that had to be why, because it just seems like, I don't even know, like a falsified, um, Insurance seems like a falsified, like, safety net or something. I don't know when it really is like they don't want to pay for anything. So, and it, so, it becomes very hard for the provider too. The reimbursements are just low. So, we want to make sure that there's support for the survivor and the provider. Yeah, that makes sense. So, you do a lot of work with, you know, different groups and stuff, um, which is amazing. Do you have your own patient load as well? Very small. Um, I do keep a very small client load right now of clients that I'm currently working with. Um, and again, that's because yes, there's a lot, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, we're doing education, we're doing outreach, we're doing awareness. Um, but I also know where my capacity is. And I also want to make sure that every single one of my clients I'm showing up hundred percent for and knowing how I felt in that world with productivity and feeling like I wasn't showing up as my full self, as the clinician that I knew I could be because I was just sitting. I was, I mean, there was days where I was sitting in a chair doing just like telehealth appointments back to back to back to back. And I didn't even get up and like move my body. And I, I like, I remember breaking down in my supervisor's office and being like, I need to just physically move my body. I cannot sit still any longer. So I know that for me, I have to keep a small caseload so that I can make sure that I'm showing up to to my clients 100. percent Yeah, no, that's real. I mentioned, you know, BetterHelp, which is which is what yeah. I do. Online, which depends on how you look at it. It's still expensive, right? So, like you were talking about the access needs, like yeah, that's you know that's a big part of the problem. Is is because thankfully, like. I mean, thankfully, I work full time in addition to running the studio and, you know, also do stuff on the side. Like I'm always exhausted, but I have to have, you know, pay the bills. Right. But I found therapy as part of my budget. But like, you know, not everyone does. You know, I mean, I think about, you know, whenever I was in, thankfully, whenever I was in college, like I had you know, free mental health at LSU, which is where Holly and I met. But after that, I mean, you know, there was a long time where like, I did not have the budget for anything like that. So it's just like, well, there's so much to fix. Thank you for trying. <laughs> I'm glad there's people out there trying because they're real. And that's kind of what I do at Yoga for All Humans too, is, you know, affordable yoga, which is, you know, part of mental health, I think. Um, like our monthly memberships are only $25 a month or, you know, if you want yeah. to do- the yoga on demand membership it's only ten dollars a month or literally if you can't afford it i'll give it to you for free we have sponsored memberships you know so it's like everyone i wish there were more people trying to do their part you know because we're getting there you know i think i do i feel that that there's a shift i do i know that gen z is like very much more in tune with a lot of things so um other than tiktok i do feel like they're I, I I feel positive about it. Um, we just have to keep from getting everything blown up, but it's a different story. So, yeah. Oh, I was really curious about because Rise offers therapy services to organizations. Um, and I'm just curious, like, 
have organizations done that? And like what types of organizations typically do that? What does that look like? Um, so usually what the work that we do with organizations is more like consultation work. Um, so trying to go in and help support them on trauma-informed strategies. So if it's the organizations that we've worked with in the past, I've been trying to get into churches. That's really my goal. Yeah. Um, going into the next year, I have one church that I've started to partner with this year. Um, they're really trauma-informed. They have uh, like a service that doesn't look like a service for people that have been impacted by church hurt. Um, they just started a religious trauma support group on campus. Um, so they are really trying to to change this shift. And so they're one that I'm really working closely with and they're, I can't remember if she's a pastor or minister, but uh, she's fantastic. But we're getting into churches is a little bit more difficult. Um, So we do still work with organizations, but that tends to be more general trauma. Um, So how can they be more trauma informed? How can they um, address the public in a more compassionate way so that they're kind of taking into consideration that trauma is really more prevalent than we realize. And so just kind of having that understanding that like, if you're interfacing with the public, you're likely going to come into contact with a person that has trauma. So how can we make those interactions a little bit more trauma informed so that we're not having the possibility of escalating behaviors as opposed to de-escalating behaviors. Um, So for example, like we did a training for a local parks and rec department um, that kind of had an issue with a staff member at a pool that uh, had a very inappropriate um, interaction with a trans youth that was there. And it was a a very big issue for the community. Um, The community was very upset by the way that this particular staff member responded to this youth um, and the way that it was handled. And so um, we kind of went in and gave them some training on um, the Q plus community. Um, We helped them to understand a little bit more um, about the Q plus community. We gave them language. um, And then we also talked to them about some different types of communication techniques that they can use when they're working with uh, different types of populations. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wow. The world we live in, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, mm. We're getting close to the hour and I don't want to abuse your time. Was there anything we didn't ask you that, that you wanted to talk about? Um, I guess like the only thing that we didn't talk about that I do kind of want to hit on that you kind of hit on a little bit when you were talking about your yoga and that kind of thing is um, that's something that we are trying to work towards at Rise to is making things more affordable and increase more access. Mm-hmm. Um, so even though we are a self-pay facility, um, a lot of the fundraising goals that we have for this next cycle are going to be centered around um a voucher program or a scholarship program um, that will be able able to offset services for clients. Um, So if they can't pay the full cost of a service, um, they would just be able to to request reimbursement for the cost of the service. So that way the provider still gets paid a reasonable amount that's going to help them be able to maintain a good work-life balance. But at the same time, we're not putting that weight back on the the survivor. We don't want them to have to carry that burden um, of having that financial weight. And so um, that's a huge project that we are undertaking. Um, We're hoping to raise $5,000 and that will help us launch that program. Can people donate? Oh yeah, there is a donate button right on the website. Okay. Okay, cool. We'll put it in the show notes then. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And they people also have an option to like just donate a service. So um, if they want to just donate a service, then that's also a possibility too. And then people can request that. 
Oh, that's great. Cool. Well, yeah, if you need yoga as part of the thing, you know, I'm happy to partner. So that would be good. Yeah. Awesome. So where can people find you or find Rise? Yeah. Um, so definitely the website. Uh, like I said, Erin is just absolutely fantastic. So she has just done amazing things with the website. And I've just been so, so grateful for her. Um, so a lot of the information, most of the information that we have there um, is there. It's updated. We just put our, we're launching a support group with the Dayton LGBT Center um, on Church Hurt. And so that starts February 9th. That All that information is up there. Um, but we also draw awareness uh, through social media. So on Instagram, um, we're at Instagram at Rise Enlightened, all one word. And then um, I'm on TikTok, just kind of like speaking from more of a therapist perspective. On TikTok, it's uh, at cast.lpc. Um, and so you can see a lot of, you know, what I share about religious trauma on, on TikTok. And then also a lot about the organization on Instagram. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to dive into some of these topics we talked about. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we just brushed the surface. We could go, I know. We could go on for a long no. time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, we didn't I didn't even get to ask you any questions about what all that was like. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. I know, Derek. I thought you I was like ready to hear like your your life story. I know. I, I knew know. I, I knew we had too much to talk about. So um Another day. We can have, we can have a whole separate thing about that. I know. It's so funny. The Baptist horror stories. Oh, yeah. Well, Cassie, it was so much fun having you. Thank you. Yes. For, for me. You as well. And for being flexible with us. I appreciate it. No, I, it was so great talking to you both. I was so glad to get to know you both. And I'm glad it worked out. I like tonight yeah. was obviously like my lottery night. There we go. Yeah. And yeah, like I said, if, if, Yoga for All Humans can support or partner in any way. Like that's not a, you know, blanket invitation. Definitely, you know, reach out and let me know because I'd love to, you know, help in whatever way I can. So. Okay, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. We'll keep doing the good work. Yes. Appreciate what you're doing. Thank you. Yeah. Bye. Fighting behind the scenes for you too. Oh, I appreciate that. (laughs) I need support. (laughs) <laughs> eventually the pitchforks are going to come for me uh, look <laughs> we'll beat them up <laughs> oh my god oh we, we will ride at dawn we will oh my god <laughs> all right cassie we'll have a good night thanks so much you too bye. bye thank you so much for taking the time to listen holly where can people find you they can find me on instagram and twitter at orange julia's seven also on thebitterlemon.com and on Etsy, Bitter Lemon Digital. And Derek, where can people find you? So I am on Instagram with my personal account at Yoga with Derek, and that's D-E-R-E-K, spelled the correct way. And on Instagram for Yoga for All Humans, it is at Yoga for All Humans on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Um, don't judge my TikTok game. I'm still learning. On LinkedIn, you can sync up with me, Derek Hagler, on there. And Yoga for All Humans has its own LinkedIn account as well. And of course, yogaforallhumans.com is the studio's website. Small Business Happy Hour has its own Instagram account at Small Business Happy Hour. Or you can email us at smallbusinesshappyhour at gmail.com.
Cheers. Cheers. See you next Tuesday. Tuesday.